The Bible says that everyone will live somewhere forever. Now, one of these days, your physical body will stop working, stop functioning. But we're more than just physical beings. We're not bodies with a soul, but we are souls which is housed, our soul is housed in a physical body. And so one of these days, the old physical body is going to stop working. But that doesn't mean that's the end of your existence. The Bible says that we have a body and we have a spirit. There's a physical part of us. and There's a spiritual part of us. There is a material part of us. And then there is an immaterial part of us, a spiritual part of us. And when the physical body stops working, the spiritual part of us, our soul, continues to live on. And the Bible says at the time of our physical death, our soul will be separated from our body. And our soul then will go to one of two destinations in eternity, in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual dimension. Now, if you're a Christian, that separation won't last forever. Because when Jesus comes again and the physical resurrection of believers occurs, then that soul, which was separated from your body when you passed away, will come again with the Lord Jesus and be rejoined with your resurrected body. Now, isn't that going to be a trip? But your body that is buried, not going to be like your body that comes forth. You will be buried in corruption. You will be raised incorruptible. Amen? Changed and glorified. Made fit for eternity. But the Bible says that everyone will live somewhere forever. And here's just the bottom line. To continue a little bit of our theme last week, it's not complicated. It's simple. The Bible says there are two options for where we will live forever. There is heaven. There is the eternal joy of heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. But the Bible also says there is hell, an eternal separation from God. Now, that's not a popular sub subject these days. That's, you know, you preach that kind of stuff. You're not going to get invited to this, that, and the other. But that's okay. I'd rather be faithful to the Lord than popular. Amen? And so hell is real. The same Bible that tells us about heaven is the same Bible that tells us about hell. And if heaven is not real, or if hell is not real, then heaven is not real. So last week, here's as Jesus comes to the invitation, he presents these two alternatives. Where are you going to live after you die? Last week, we looked at the broad way, which leads to hell, an eternal separation from God. Now, few people believe they're on the broad way. I don't know how many people I've talked to who said, I'll, I'll talk with them about the Lord and they'll say, well, I'm okay with the Lord. I don't even know what that means, you know? But they're trying to be, they're trying to deflect the conversation I'm trying to have with them about giving their life to Christ. I'm okay with the Lord. A lot of people think they're okay with the Lord and they're on the path that will eventually lead them to heaven because they're good people because they belong to this group or they believe this or they've done this or they've done that. that. You know, they, they believe they're on, on the way. They're, they're headed to heaven. 
Well, Proverbs 14:12 is an Old Testament commentary on the broad way. Remember this verse? There is a way that seems right to man. There's a way that seems good. There's a way that man celebrates. But its end is the way of death. Can you imagine the deception? Thinking you're okay with the Lord, you're walking that way, only to discover when it's too late that that road has carried you to death and eternal separation from God. I pray for those on the broad way, don't you? And I know that I'm on the narrow way and not because I'm a good person or not because I'm a preacher or not because I'm a Baptist or not because of any of those things. I'm on the narrow way for one reason and one reason alone, Jesus Christ. He's the reason I'm on the narrow way. And left on my own, God could have left me on my own and I'd still be on the broad way. But he intervened in my life. He helped me to see the truth of the gospel, my need of repentance. I trusted in Jesus. I was saved. And as the Lord translates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, he translated me from the broad way to the narrow way. And it's all because of Jesus. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved my soul. Amen? So today we look at the narrow way which leads to heaven. Now life can be boiled down to one word. And that one word is decisions. The decisions we make will either make us or they will break us. The biggest decision that a person will ever make is this. What do you do with Jesus Christ? That's the biggest decision a person will ever make. Because that decision, the decision a person makes about Jesus Christ, affects them in this world, affects the course of their life, affects the quality of their life, affects the direction of their life in this world, and not only in this world, but whatever decision a person makes about Jesus Christ affects their eternal destiny. A person has to make a decision about Jesus. Now, a lot of people want to ignore Christ. Just ignore it. But here's the problem. To ignore Jesus is to reject Jesus. If me and Miss Avers threw a party, we sent you an invitation, says RSVP, you could do one of two things. You could call us and say, Miss Avers and Brother Chris, we'd love to come. You know? And I'd say, but we'll put another pot of chili on if you're coming. Right? Or you could call and say, well, I'm sorry, we can't make it. We're busy that night. We got to go bowling. <laughs> and we can't make it. Or you could just ignore it. Put the invitation up on the piano and never call. Never let us know. Well, to ignore that invitation is to reject that invitation. To ignore Christ is to reject him. And so the most important decision a person will ever make is, what will I do with Jesus Christ? The course of your life in this world and your eternal destiny depends on that, the answer to that question. Now a person can deny that, many deny that, many reject that, but that does not change the reality that it is true. 
And so let's look at these verses about the narrow gate. Jesus says to go to heaven. Now, you know, I know I'm going to heaven. I'm just not ready to go today. You know, the Lord gives us the will to live. Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, as wonderful as we know heaven is, the Lord gives us a will to live until he is ready to take us to heaven. You know, I want to see my grandkids grow up. I want to do their marriage ceremony. I, I want to see some great-grandchildren. I want to stay with my wife. You know, we have a lot to live for. And so the Lord gives us that will to live. But, you know, the heaven is our home. And we know that we're assured of heaven because of Jesus. Jesus says to go to heaven, one must enter by the narrow gate. Those are the words of Jesus. You want to get on the road to eternal life, the road to heaven, you must enter by the narrow gate. Now, that phrase is a very important phrase. It says four things. Number one, to go to heaven, you must enter. In other words, to go to heaven, you have to do something. You have to make a decision. You have to make a commitment. To go to heaven, you've got to do something. Going to heaven is not automatic. Our default destination, our default eternal destination is not heaven. To go to heaven, you have to do something. Going to heaven doesn't happen by accident. So what must you do to go to heaven? Jesus said, enter into the narrow gate. In other words, to go to heaven, you've got to do something. You have to enter. So what must you do to go to heaven? Well, to go to heaven, you must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not, is not just a message to believe. The Bible says it is a command to obey. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 Judgment will come on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 4, 17. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? The gospel is not just a message to believe. It is a command from the king of the universe, from the creator God. It is a command to obey. We are commanded, summoned by our creator God, to believe the gospel and to obey the gospel. The gospel, the gospel commands that we confess and repent of our sins. The gospel commands that we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. The gospel commands that we believe that Jesus arose from the dead, which confirms he's the living Savior. The gospel commands that we submit, that we surrender to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You don't have to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He already is. You must surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord of all. No one makes Jesus Lord. Jesus already is Lord. You just surrender to that. And those who refuse to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their life are lost. So the phrase, enter into the narrow gate, means that you have to do something to be saved. You don't have to do anything to be lost. 
You're already lost. You have to do something to be saved. And the thing you must do is to enter in. You must obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Second of all, this phrase, the gateway that means that the gateway to heaven is narrow. Enter by the narrow gate. It's narrow. It's definite. It is constrictive. It is precise. There are not many ways to heaven. So I'll survey this week. 65% of millennial Christians believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Confucius will get you there. Muhammad will get you there. This will get you there. That will get you there. My friend, that's not the gospel. And that's not true. There are not many ways to heaven. There's only one way. It's narrow. Narrow is the gate. The way to heaven is not a religion. It's not a denomination. It's not a philosophy. It's not a set of rules. The narrow gate that leads to heaven is a person. One person in particular. And only one person. And that one person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, John 14, 6. And he wasn't playing when he said it. Jesus never played at anything he said, of course. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. What does that mean? It means what it says, <laughs> that Jesus is the only way. John 10, 9, I am the door, Jesus said. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus said, I am the door. I am the door. There are not many ways. It's narrow. The door is narrow. It's constrictive. It's particular. One person and one person alone is the door that leads to heaven. And that one person is Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God, the God of the Bible. And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Enter into the narrow gate. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one person who's the Savior. There's only one person who's the Lord. To be saved, a person must must receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Another thing that, that what Jesus said, narrow is the gate. Another thing that it means is the gate to salvation is narrow. In other words, only one person at a time can enter in. Salvation is not a group experience. People are not saved in groups. Salvation is a personal experience. Only one person at a time. You're not a Christian because your mama was. That's two people. Not a Christian because your family may have been. That's a bunch of people. To be saved, you have to confess and repent of your sins. You have to believe that Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins and that he rose again. You have to receive him as your Savior and Lord. Have you ever been to those venues where you had to go through a turnstile? Enter into a concert or a game or something like that. 
And you don't have a bunch of people going through that one gate at one time. You got one person at a time going through the turnstile. And the gate of salvation is narrow. One person at a time can enter in. It's a personal experience. You have to confess. My mama couldn't repent for me and believe for me. My daddy couldn't do that. Just because I was a, a part of a group, somehow part of a group, didn't mean that I was automatically entered into heaven. No, it's a particular experience, one person at a time. Here's another thing that this phrase means. Enter in by the narrow gate. Because the gate of salvation is narrow, it is not easily found. Jesus said in verse 14 that there are few who find the gate of salvation, and there are even fewer who enter in. But listen, that's not God's fault. It's not God who has hidden the gate of salvation. God has clearly defined the gate of salvation in His Word. You know, the gate of salvation, it's not God's fault that it's not found. The gospel and the plan of salvation is clear and simple. It's not complicated. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. How much simpler could you be? The gospel and the plan of salvation is clear and simple. The gospel is being preached and presented everywhere, everywhere around the world. It's in the word of God. Jesus is not hiding the way. God is not hiding the way to salvation. Then why are there few who find the gate that leads to salvation? There are several reasons why there are few who find that gate. Number one, there are few who are looking for it. You know, there are multitudes of people today who live their lives every day with little thought for their eternal destiny. They may have fleeting moments when they think about, you know, their, their destiny, but they're so wrapped up in this world, so involved in this world, so caught up in this world, that there are multitudes of people who never think about what it's going to be like or where they're going when they die and about their eternal destiny. They're living for today. They're living for this world. They're not looking for the door of salvation. Second of all, many have accepted a false gospel, a false religion, false philosophies. They think they're on the narrow way, but they're not. They're deceived, but listen, they were willingly deceived. Eve in the garden was deceived by Satan. Adam wasn't deceived at all. He knew what he was doing when he bit into the fruit. People are willingly deceived because of their hardened hearts against God. Thirdly, many have never heard a clear presentation of the true gospel and the true way of salvation. While it is being presented around the world, many have never really heard a clear presentation of the gospel. Do you know, and this is sadly true, there are multitudes of churches in America today in which the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preached in years. You go to church there and you hear a motivational sermon about how you need to be better, how you need to be good, how you are good, how you're wonderful. You're living our best life now. 
how you can do this to be a better man, how you can do that to be a better woman, how you can do this to be a better kid, all of this motivational stuff, but they never preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They never present that you're lost, you're a sinner, you're separated from God, you need to repent, you need to believe in Jesus. There are multitudes of churches today in which the true gospel of Jesus Christ has never been preached or not been preached in years. And some of them are big churches. Because you see, that, that thing is appealing to people. And they like to go and they like the show and they like the lights and they like that guy who gets up there and makes them feel good about themselves and how wonderful they are and how they can be better and do this and do that or how you need to get involved in this or get involved in that. Man, when you go to church, you need to hear the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I will live and I will die as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another reason why many people don't find the door of salvation is that they just refuse to enter in. They see the door, they know the door, they know the truth, they've heard the truth, they understand the truth. Many of them are even convicted of the truth, but they choose not to go through the door. Why are there a few who find the door? Many are not looking for it. Many have accepted a false message. <laughs> many have heard, not heard a clear presentation of the message. But many people find the door. They understand the truth. They're convicted for the truth, but they refuse to enter in. Why don't people enter in? If they know their course of their life in this world is at stake, if they know their eternal life, their eternal destiny is at stake, why won't people believe? Why won't they enter in? Why won't they accept Christ? One word, pride. They're too proud to humble themselves before God. They're too proud to confess that they're sinners, totally separated from Him. They're not willing to accept the truth that they are totally incapable of doing anything to make themselves right with God. They're not willing to forsake all that they have and surrender control of their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. To be saved, you don't have to sell everything you have, but to be saved, you must surrender control of everything you have to Jesus. That's just like losing it, right? Lord, all that I have and all that I am belongs to you. You, O oh Lord. Many people find the door of salvation, but they refuse to enter in because of their pride. And they just will not accept the truth. Pride is a dangerous thing. It caused Satan to rebel against God or Lucifer to rebel against God, and he became Satan, and that started this whole ball of wax with what we're dealing with in this world. And pride has shut the door of many people out of heaven because they refuse to bend the knee. But you know what? The Bible says one day every knee will bow <laughs> and every tongue will confess 
than Jesus Christ as Lord. Some will bow willingly. I will. But some will bow reluctantly when they confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus said in John 16, or Matthew rather, 16 verses 24 and 25, Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That means to give up control of your life to Christ. Take up his cross. That means to believe the truth of the gospel and follow me. That means to receive Jesus as Lord. You deny yourself. You confess your sins. You believe the gospel. Take up your cross means to believe in Jesus who died on the cross. To follow him means to make him the Lord of your life. Then Jesus said this, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. What does that mean? If you refuse to do that, you say, I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to surrender to that. I'm not going to, you know, obey that. I want to live my life for myself in the way I want to live my life. If you save your life for yourself, if you hang on to your life for yourself, you're going to lose it. In the end, you will lose it. Not only your physical life, but your eternal life, your spiritual life. But whoever loses his life, for my sake will find it. If a person comes to Christ and says, I give you my life. You ever heard that? Lord, I give you my life. You're losing your life to Jesus. Lord, I give you my life. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you. If you lose your life for my sake, Jesus said, you'll find it. <laughs> You'll find the true meaning of life in this world and you'll find a home in heaven. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now that's the narrow way, the narrow gate. Let's look at the difficult way quickly. The joys and the blessings of being a follower of Jesus Christ far outweigh any difficulties we may face in this world. You know, the joys of being a Christian far outweigh any of the difficulties and trials that we face in this world. But the Lord and the Bible, the Lord Jesus and the Bible doesn't cut any slack. Here's what Jesus says. Give your life to me, follow me. You'll find eternal life. You'll find, find salvation. But my friend also realized this. If you follow me, you're going to find hardship in this world. I mean, the Lord didn't try to cover it all up. John 15, 20, if the world persecuted me, it will also persecute you. Jesus said, if they put me on a cross, if you follow me, guess what they'll do to you? You'll be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3, 12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We live in a fallen world that hated Jesus. If you follow Jesus, guess what the world's going to do? It's going to hate you. There are a lot of people in our country. God bless America. We have fallen so far away from what we were. There are a lot of people in this country who love to throw Brother Chris into jail for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you believe the truth and you preach the truth, you're the extremist. You're the terrorist. You're the enemy of this country. You're what's wrong with America. How did America get to this point? Where if you believe the truth 
and believe the truth of God's word and proclaim it, you're the problem. That's where we are in America. Amen? That's where we, how did we get here? Because we turned our back on God. Our nation is reaping what it has sown. And it will continue to if we continue to follow the path, path that our nation is on. And so we live in a fallen world and you may pay a price for being a Christian. Now, I was listening to Dr. David Jeremiah this morning talking about persecution of Christians. You need to listen to that message. And all that's going on now in the world for those who follow Christ. In America, we're kind of insulated from that. But all around the world, there are people who are suffering for their faith because they are followers of Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this, if we continue to follow the path we're following on, following on in America today, that persecution will hit home. It will. So when the way is difficult for a believer in this world, whether it's persecution, we live in a fallen world, when times are tough, when the way is difficult in this world, what should we do? We should remember three things when times are tough. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. <laughs> For God himself has said, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen? So when difficult times come, the Lord's not going to leave you. Everybody else may. The Lord's not going to forsake you. He will be with you. Second of all, we need to remember when troubles and trials come into our life as Christians, that the troubles of this world are nothing compared to the glories of heaven. The life we live now is just a blip, just a blip of the total existence, our eternal existence. Now, what the life we live in this world determines everything about our eternal existence. But just think, you know, you might live 80 years, 90 years, 100 years. But in the stretch of eternity, that's nothing. <laughs> and yet we may have troubles and trials in this world, but the troubles we face in this world are nothing compared to the glories of heaven. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. We don't give up, even in the troubles of this world. Listen. For the light afflictions of this world, the light afflictions of this world are but for a moment. They are working for us a far more exceeding and external wedge of glory. Now quickly, catch the picture of that. You know, if you have a pair of scales at home where you put something on one side and you put something on here and you try to find out the weight of it. In this world, from the, from the eternal perspective the troubles of this world are light it's like it's like taking a feather and putting it on one side of the scale it doesn't even move the scale the thing is still up you put a feather on it don't even move it paul said these are light afflictions we face in this world but if you put the glories of heaven on that same scale that scale will go boom, just like that they are heavy the eternal weight of glory. Say, so, yeah, we might suffer in this world, but man, just wait till you get to glory. 
Just wait till you get to glory. All of this stuff we face in this world is going to fade away. So when you're, you're facing troubles and trials in this world, remember what we face in this world is nothing compared to the glories of heaven. And here's the third thing to remember when you're having troubles and trials in this world, maybe persecution, maybe other stuff going on in your life. And it's a very simple statement. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Amen? It will be, it will be worth it all when we see his glorious face. I've never seen Jesus, but I talk to him every day. I've dedicated my life to Him. I sing songs about Him. I preach sermons about Him. Jesus is my life. Jesus is, is everything about me. My whole life is dedicated to Him. I've never seen Him. Now, what in the world is Brother Chris going to do when he sees Jesus? Somebody ought to write a song. You know, I could only imagine what I'm going to do when I see Jesus. Well, I stand in awe. Will I fall on my face before him? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to say anything at all? Listen, the troubles of this world, they're hard. They're difficult. We don't want to have them. We have to deal with them. Sometimes we have to deal with them for a long time. But my friend, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. What we face in this world is nothing compared to what we have before us. And it'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. So we've seen the narrow gate. Enter in. To be saved. We've seen that this way can be difficult. But finally, I want us to see the assured destination. Jesus said, only the narrow gate and only the difficult way lead to life. To eternal life and the joys of heaven. There is no other way. Jesus and Jesus alone. So the question is, have you entered the narrow door of salvation by receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Two gates, two ways, two destinations. What road are you on? What road are you on? I'm on the narrow gate, or the narrow way. I went through the narrow gate. I'm on the, in, in the narrow way now. And I've had difficulties and trials, troubles, and they get hard. But I know the Lord, He'll never leave me, and He'll never forsake me, and He'll bless me, and He'll continue to be with me. I'm on that narrow road because of Jesus and Jesus alone. Nobody can stand up and say and brag and say, you know, I'm a Christian because I'm so good. Or I'm a Christian because I gave $400,000 to this or that or the other. Or I'm a Christian because I fed this or I did this or I've done that or I'm so good. No. Here's what you do when you stand up and talk about your salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone saved a wretch like me. When I cried out to him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please save me. He died on the cross for me. He rose again. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. It's all about Jesus and Jesus, Jesus Jesus alone. Amen. Hallelujah. If you've never accepted Christ, the good news is he'll save you today. He's in the saving business. Say, what must I do to be saved? Well, here's what you must do. Walk up here to Brother Chris. Take him by the hand and say, I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Christ. Today I'm a sinner. I want to repent of my sin and believe the gospel. I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. Today I want to be saved. I want to enter through 
that narrow gate. I want to follow the narrow way. I want to give my life to Christ. You do that, and I'll pray with you, and you can ask Jesus into your life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. He will save those who call upon Him. You can be saved today. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for the truth. The truth. Save the lost. And bless Your people today. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand. As we sing, would you come?